0: Well, good morning, Bayshore. It is so good to see you guys here this morning. So glad that you're part of today's service. I want to say big welcome to our Fenwick Island campus and all my friends at Fenwick Island. Love you guys. So glad that you're part of today's experience here at Bayshore. And uh, many of you I know so well. Some of you are new to the Fenwick Island campus. Thank you for being a part of that today. And also our online campus, our brand new campus online. And we're so grateful that we have people listening all through our community, hundreds of people that are on now in our online campus, and we want to thank you for joining us, and people not only in our community, but outside our community. Uh, we have people listening from the West Coast in California. Last week, I heard from Roger and uh, Brenda Hurley from St. Petersburg, Florida. Thank you for listening. Uh, dear friends of ours, and so grateful that they are listening. Hey, listen, if you are a part of our online campus, we would love to hear from you. Tell us where you're, you're uh, listening from and what these uh, services mean to you. We'd love to hear from you, and so glad that you're part of today's experience. Well, listen, we're in a series called Hopeless, and we're talking about how to find hope in this series, and uh, we're crossing out the less, and we're discovering hope. So maybe if you felt hopeless, and you feel like you just can't move forward, this series is for you. We've been talking about all kinds of things, but today we're going to talk about a very unique subject that I think can really like, you know, hit us in the gut and make us feel hopeless, and that is when we lose somebody that That we love. We have a loved one that dies or passes away. And I read this, uh, actually I heard Ravi Zachariah uh, tell this story or read this story a while back and I thought it'd be really cool to share it uh, real quickly in this this message. And it's called The Bagpiper uh, and the Funeral. And here's how it goes. As a bagpiper, I I play many gigs. Recently I was asked by a funeral director to play at a graveside service for a homeless man. He had no family or friends, so the service was to be at a pauper cemetery in Nova Scotia backcountry. As I was not familiar with the backwoods, I got lost, and being a typical man, I didn't stop for directions. I finally arrived an hour late and saw the funeral guy had evidently gone, and the hearse was nowhere in sight. There were only the diggers and crew left, and they were eating lunch. I felt badly and apologized to the men for being late. I went to the side of the grave and looked down, and the vault lid was already in place. I didn't know what else to do, so I started to play. The workers put down their lunches and began to gather around. I played out my heart and soul for this man with no friends and family. I played like I never played before for this homeless man. And as I played Amazing Grace, the workers began to weep. They wept, I wept, we all wept together. When I finished, I packed up my bagpipes and started for the car. Through my, though my head was hung low, my heart was full. As I opened the door to my car, I heard one of the workers say, I've never seen anything like this before, and I've been putting septic tanks in for 20 years. Well, I think that's pretty pretty funny, And uh, but Ravi Zachariah was chel- uh, sharing that story as he talked about the kind of like uh, morbid story of death, and today we're going to be talking about death and what death is all about and help us to understand it, because one of the things I know um, for you and for me is that we're touched by that experience of death throughout our life, people that we love, we care about, our family, uh, someone close to us uh, passes away and we experience that experience and it's very, very painful. This past week, Uh, marked the first year anniversary of my mom passing away. My mom passed away a year ago on July 21st. So this week on Tuesday, I was particularly tuned in to this whole idea of of death and what that is about. And I know what it is, and many of you do as well. Someone you dearly love, you stand at their graveside and you feel that deep, deep pain inside. Uh, This week, uh, a great leader in our community, uh, Ross Dukes. Here's a picture of Ross Dukes. Ross Dukes is actually the of Barry Dukes, who is the worship director at our Rehoboth campus. Ross Dukes uh, passed away this last Tuesday, ironically, on the day of my mom's anniversary of her death, and Ross went to be with the Lord, a great Christian leader, uh, served in churches throughout our community, and uh, he actually designed my house, a wonderful, godly man, and we're really going to miss Ross Dukes and our family. We always see people that we know that uh, pass away, and sometimes people that, that we don't know very well. Uh, for instance, John Travolta, his wife, uh, Kelly Preston, here's a picture of her. She just passed away about two weeks ago. She's only fixed, 57 years old. She had, uh, she had breast cancer and fought that breast cancer for about two years. And uh, about two weeks ago, uh, she passed away. So we all know people that are famous that die. Then we know people that are close to us, and we know that pain of what it's all about, and we just feel that. So, you know, one of the things I think the church is guilty of, we're guilty. Of of sort of avoiding that issue and, and sort of the the language we use is evident of that we never say a person dies that's just like too abrupt it's too harsh so we just kind of say you know they passed away which is actually not a bad thing to say it, that phrase goes back to the 14th century uh, in England and it meant that a person's spirit passed out of their body which is actually very biblical um, but we we don't use it that way I don't think we think about that it's just a way to avoid saying uh, that the person died because we. Just Hate to say that it's just such a heavy thing to say, Uh, and sometimes we even say, you know, like, uh, Well, we lost our dad a a few years ago, and that sounds like you lost your car keys. It's just our way of avoiding the subject, and we just struggle with that. A number of years ago, uh, Karen and her uh, family, her brother and her sister, and her parents were still living at that time, went to see the attorney about their will to make sure the will was all in order and all that, and they're having a conversation with the attorney. And as they have this conversation with the attorney, um, they're saying things like, well, we just want to make sure the will is in order just in case something happens to our mom and dad. And, uh, and the lawyer, you know, he was sort of, you know, just straightforward. He said, listen, it's not a matter of if something happens to your mom and dad, it's when something happens to your mom and dad, and just kind of brought them to reality that they are going to die. And so that's an interesting conversation. So we all avoid this subject, but one of the things I think we should do in the church is I think uh, we need to teach on this because, you know, the church should be relevant for every subject, and this is a very relevant subject. And I think the guilty thing that we have in our modern churches, and I'm a part of a modern church, lead a modern church, love a modern church, but one of the things I think we're guilty of is we're guilty of making all of our teaching, all of our messages about how to be successful in this life, and uh, how to be a good father, how to be a good wife, how to be a good parent, how to be you know a good employer, employee, and all of that, and how to be successful, how to have your best year now, all that's your best life now. That's a really, really uh, good thing, but you know it's an incomplete message. Because the Bible not only talks about how to be successful in this life, but it talks about the life to come. And if we don't have a good Understanding, And if we're not trained to understand this important part of the reality of life, then we're going to struggle. So I want to talk to you a little bit in the few moments we have today about maybe a heavy subject. And if you're watching online, um, you may be looking for the remote right now, but I want to encourage you to hang in there because I guarantee you that some point in your life, you're going to face that issue of someone close to you dying. And the reality, the cold reality for you and for me is that every single one of us will come to a point in our journey where we'll experience that as well. And so I want to talk a little bit about that. First of all, what is death? What is death? Let us understand, you know, understand a little bit about what death is. And I think it's important for us to kind of understand the mechanics of what death is. Now, James chapter 2, verse 26 gives us a little insight on what that really is, what death is. And here's what James says. James is a great teacher, brother of Jesus, we believe, wrote that book. And James wrote, uh, he's actually trying to illustrate that faith without works is dead. In other words, that we should have good works in our life as well as just faith. But he uses the analogy of what death is. And he says, as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. So basically, James gives this great definition of what death is. Death is basically when our spirit leaves our body. Now, here's the thing. We're not just Uh, material beings. We are immaterial as well as material beings. We're not just a body and all of us want to look good. You know, I've been trying to lose weight. I'm doing my push-ups. I'm exercising. You know, I want to look good and you want to look good. You're at the gym. And I don't think many people, you know, are like trying to be, uh, you know, working out to to be healthy. I think, you know, that's a byproduct. I think we all want to look good. I mean, really, don't you want to look good? You know, we're like trying to look good. and, And so I think we Think about ourselves as, as mainly a body. Do you realize the Greeks had that issue? The Greeks, you know, were all into their body. You know, they wanted to be ripped and all that. And I'm all about being ripped. You know, I'm not sure it's going to happen for me, but anyhow, you know, I think that's incredible. But you need to remember, and I need to remember, that we are not just a body. In fact, Death is when our spirit, the real inner man, the real person, leaves our body. That's when death happens. There's this formula I'll put on the screen here. And the formula is body minus spirit equals physical death. So what is physical death? Physical death is when the spirit leaves the body. And uh, when my uh, mom died a year ago, at that moment... Uh, my mom, that feisty woman, that, you know, uh, loving Jesus woman, that excited woman who loves the Lord and, and that creative woman, that woman left her body. And if you've ever been around a deceased person, which is kind of like a weird thing, but you know, in my career, it's something I do on a regular basis. But when you're around a deceased person, there's a real sense that person is not with you anymore, that they're not there. There's just this absence. You can stand next to your loved one and it's gone to be with the Lord. I remember being with Karen's mom, uh, staying with her after she had passed away and the family was in the other room working with the doctors and all the paperwork. And I was there kind of with her mom, just praying over her and and all that. And and I remember just that feeling that she wasn't there. She wasn't there. And so that's what it is. Now, what did Jesus say on the cross? When he was on the cross, he said, uh, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. So and then it says he breathed his last and he died. So the 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 understanding, the biblical understanding, of what death is? Death is this. Death is when your spirit, the inner person, uh, leaves your body, and uh, that's when death occurs. Stephen in the book of uh, Acts, Acts chapter eight, uh, the first Christian martyr, Stephen, uh, as he was being stoned and being persecuted, uh, he said, uh, uh, "Lord, I give, I commend my spirit to you." And then he fell asleep which is a euphemism for dying so he died so it doesn't matter doesn't matter how you die what happens to you what happens at the moment of death is your spirit leaves your body so that that is not a mystery that is not a mystery so you know when you or your loved one comes to that point uh, death is actually the vacating of the physical body uh, the spirit from the physical body. Now there's no other verse of Scripture better to explain this in Second Corinthians chapter five. And let me put Second Corinthians chapter five on the screen. Second Corinthians chapter five uh, says this. This is what Paul says, "For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed,." We have a building from God, an internal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Now, what's he talking about, an earthly tent? An earthly tent, if you look at the difference between between a tent and a house, a tent is a temporal dwelling, and a house is a permanent dwelling. And so basically, Paul is using language we would understand that uh, he said, the earthly tent we live in. So the we, the real person, the real Danny Tice, you're looking at my body, but the real me lives in this tent. This is a tent you're looking at. It's a pretty good looking tent, I have to admit. you know, This is my tent, and I live inside this tent. And so that's what it says, for we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed. Now that means we could get cancer, we could get hit by a car, we could get hit by lightning, heaven forbid. Something could happen to us. If the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, then he gives assurance we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven and not built by human hands. So bottom line, 1 Corinthians 15 teaches that we have a perishable body, which in the the Greek, the word perishable means um, to wither. We have a withering body. Now, if you're a little older, and some of you are at Fenwick Island, and some of you are at Millsboro. Some of you are online. You're a little older. You know, you're not as young as you used to be. Some of you millennials, you know, you're like just so good. You know, you guys are just amazing. Your body heals so quick. Something happens to us. You know, it takes a long time. You know, a millennial can cut off their arm, and a new one will grow back in the morning. You know, they are amazing. But as you get older, the Bible says we have a perishable body. And that perishable body, in the Greek, perishable means to wither. And with her. you know, I got a bad knee, I got done playing tennis the other day, my knee was hurting and all that. So we live in a, we live in a tent, we live in a temporary tent, and death is when the person inside of the tent vacates that body. And that's what actually happens at physical death. So when we think about facing death one day, you know, uh, personally or, you know, with somebody that we love, you know, the mystery, the mystery of what's happening is that that they're living in a tent and they move out of that tent. What You know, Paul talked about it in Philippians. He said, I desire, he was talking about death in Philippians chapter 1, he said, I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. Notice the language: I desire to depart and be with Christ. So he's leaving his body. So bottom line is, let's put the uh, the little equation on the screen again: uh, body minus spirit equals physical death. So that's what it is. That's what it what it when it happened to your 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 husband or your wife or your father or your mother. What does that death constitute? What is it? It is the spirit leaving the body. It's the spirit leaving the body. So that's what it is. So then there's this other piece of scripture uh, in scripture that's just so uh, so incredibly comforting, and that is the uh, the final resurrection. I want to put this graph on the uh, the screen. Uh, death and then final resurrection, the intermediate state, which is an interesting conversation that we may have some time to talk about today. But um, death and the final resurrection. Now, the Bible, this final resurrection idea, everywhere, ubiquitous. Ubiquitous, one of my favorite words, ubiquitous. It's everywhere. I mean, if you read the Bible, this whole idea about a culminating final resurrection at the end of history is Everywhere in the Bible. Jesus talked about it. Paul talked about it. John, the, the apostle, talked about it in the Gospel of John and the book of Revelation. It's in the book of Daniel. It's in, it's in uh, uh, the book of Isaiah. Let me read a couple to you. Let me just start with, a, with an Old Testament verse, real quickly. Daniel chapter 12, verses 2 through 3. Daniel chapter 12 says, Multitudes who sleep in the dust. This is God speaking to Daniel. Daniel, by the way, is a great book. I just finished it in my devotions. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake. Now, the multitude idea there is, listen, it's just basically a, a blanketed word that covers everything. There's just a lot. It's talking about billions and billions and billions of people have lived on this planet and they've died. And Daniel is told by the Lord, multitudes, everyone who sleep in the dust, they're buried in different forms and fashions. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake. They will awake. They're not going to stay in the ground. They're not going to stay in the sea. They're not going to stay you know, in, 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 their, uh, in that state. They're going to be They're going to be awakened. They're going to be awakened, and uh, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. So, this is the original verse. The, like the real first verse in the Old Testament that hearkens that there's a resurrection, a final resurrection at the end of history. And so notice that some will be awakened to everlasting life. In other words, if a person knows Jesus, knows Jesus if a person is, has walked with Jesus, when the resurrection occurs, they are awakened to everlasting life. They are, you know, and the everlasting life there is not, it's, it's duration, it's duration. I mean, it's going to go on forever, like you're never going to die. You're, you're never going to, you know, you're going to just keep living forever and ever. And think about, it's not just duration, but it's also quality of life, quality of life. When it talks about in John 10.10, 10, uh, he came to give us, the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy, but I've come to give you life and to give it to you more abundantly. That, that word abundant is not simply, you know, you have an abundant of days, you'll live forever, but it also is the quality of life. Think about, the best day you've ever had—maybe the day you got married, or the day that your child was born—the most beautiful spring or summer day you've ever seen. Think about the best day you've ever had and multiply that by a million, and then that's going to be the kind of days you have forever. That's what it says in the uh, in the New Testament: "I have not seen." nor ear heard the things that God has prepared for those that love him. In other words, you can't imagine, you can't even comprehend the greatness of what God does for you. So multitudes asleep in the dust of the earth will awake. Uh, So it's talking about the final resurrection, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. Listen, just because a person dies, death is not the passageway into eternal life. And that, you know, anybody that dies is gonna live with Jesus forever and all that. The Bible does not teach that anywhere. It's not, it's not true. And we go to funerals and, you know, we don't wanna hurt anybody's feelings for sure. And I'm sure very sensitive when I do a funeral of anybody that doesn't know the Lord, but bottom line is, the New Testament, Old Testament, does not teach that if I'm raised from the dead, I'm going to be with the Lord forever. And some are going to be face shame and everlasting contempt. Next verse, and it says, those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. You're going to shine like the stars forever and ever. But one other verse in the Old Testament, real quickly, Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 26, verse 19. Those, uh, it says this, but you're dead... This is Isaiah living 700 years before Christ. But your dead will live, Lord. Their bodies will rise. Let those who dwell in the dust wake up and shout for joy. This is Isaiah 26, 19. So speaking of the resurrection in the end. But your dead will live, Lord. Their bodies will rise. It's a very important phrase here. Their bodies will rise. The, The resurrection, the final resurrection, is a bodily resurrection, a bodily resurrection. You're not going to be like Casper the ghost. Here's Casper the ghost. You're not going to be Casper the ghost. You're not going to be like this, this, uh, this sort of spiritual mist in the universe. You're going to have a bodily resurrection. Go back to Isaiah 26, and we can see where it talks specifically about the body. But your dead will live, Lord, their bodies will rise. What kind of uh, physical resurrection will we have? We'll have the same kind of resurrected body that Jesus had. Remember when Jesus was raised from the dead, um, John 21, Mary was holding on to him. He said, don't hold on to me. I haven't yet ascended to my Father. And he had to go to the Father in heaven. And, and uh, there was a transmission of his blood to bring righteous people before the throne of God. And then he later was with the disciples. And what did he say later in the Gospel of Luke? He said, he said come and touch me. Come and touch me, for a ghost does not have flesh and blood. Then he said, hey, bring me a piece of fish. My dad loves uh, those McDonald's fish sandwiches. He just like eats like 10 of them a week. He loves them. And it's like Jesus said, "Bring me one of those, bring me one of those McDonald's fish sandwiches," and he ate it. And he was demonstrating that he had a physical resurrection and that we will have a physical resurrection. The Bible very very clear. On this, that we're going to have a physical bodily resurrection. My mom is not going to be a phantom. Ross Dukes is not going to be a phantom. They're going to have a renewed body, renewed body. Uh, It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, let's go over there. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 50, I declare to you, brothers uh, and sisters, that flesh and blood, physical bodies, cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable, the perishable, go back to that last verse, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Perishable means, it actually literally means in the Greek to wither, to wither, and to, you know, kind of get old. The perishable... Uh, is we're not going to have a perishable body in the future. We're going to be given an imperishable body, a body that's full of vigor and life, and has this amazing ability that can do some of the things that Jesus did. You know, and we're not confined to time and space, but we can move around. I declare to you, brothers, sisters, and brothers, I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Next verse. Listen, I tell you a mystery: We will not all sleep, but we will be changed. In a flash and the twinkling of an eye, the last trumpet for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. In other words, when my mom is raised from the dead and she comes uh, you know, out of the grave, and her, her, she comes out of the grave, she's not given an old, she had dementia. She doesn't have dementia anymore. She doesn't have a, she had a, a weak heart. She doesn't have a weak heart anymore. She doesn't have anything wrong with her body. Her body is a supernatural body like Jesus had. She has a supernatural body like Jesus. So that's some of the things that happen. And so it's very, very encouraging when, you look at what happens in the, uh, in, in the, in the, in the teaching and scripture that resurrection, resurrection of our body, that we have this, that God is going to raise people from the dead going to raise people from the dead. Now, let me just talk about what I think is a tricky thing for us to understand. Let's look, put that graph back on the board where we have uh, body and spirit. The other one that it says death and then the intermediate state. We have death, final resurrection, and intermediate state. Now, what happens immediately after a person dies? What happens immediately after a person dies and uh, before the final resurrection? Here's, here's three possibilities of what people have come up with. Soul sleep. Uh, In other words, that the people are just asleep. Uh, When a person dies, they're in this unconscious state until the resurrection. And uh, Seventh-day Adventists believe that, Jehovah's Witness believe that, St. Augustine believe that. There's a lot of people that believe that, and I can understand where there's certain scriptures that would make uh, people think that. The other, other night, I, you know, I stayed up and watched uh, Survivor with Karen to about 11.30, and I had to get up at 5.30 in the morning and play tennis, and I went to bed. And I mean, I went in a coma. I mean, I went asleep. And I laid my head on the pillow, and then it was like, you know, before I knew it, I just laid my head on the pillow, and the next thing I knew, the alarm clock went off, and it was 5.30. 30. And I, some people believe that a, a person that's dead is not, they're not conscious of time, but they're in a sleep, a state of sleep, and then they're raised again at the end, and they're conscious, they're awakened, and they're given a new body at that moment, and they're with the Lord. Then uh, there are other groups. That believe in purgatory. How many have ever heard of purgatory, Thematic Island? You heard of purgatory, Millsboro here, purgatory. Those online, you've heard of purgatory. If you're Catholic, you have sort of an understanding of purgatory, um, soul sleep. You can see some scriptures that could lend to that. Uh, purgatory. There's no scriptures. No scriptures at all. Paul never said anything. Jesus never said anything. You know, the idea of purgatory is is that you know you weren't totally perfected in this life. And so after you die, you're in a state of grace but you're still imperfect and you have to go into this place called purgatory where you suffer and you go through uh, some, some penance, and that you are released out of purgatory. And even uh, people that are living can do masses for you or whatever. There's no scripture at all. Basically, that says that Jesus did something for me on the cross, but I've got to do something, and if I don't do my part, I can never go to heaven. And that's not, not biblical at all. What did Jesus say when he died on the cross? What's the last thing he said on the cross? The last thing he said on the cross, it's finished it's finished. There is nothing else to do. Karen cleans the kitchen up, and I'm in the other room, and I come in there a little late. Oh, can I help you clean up anything?" And she says, no, it's, it's finished. There's nothing else to do, and I could be in trouble then. You know, there's nothing else to do. And when Jesus said it's finished, He's saying there's nothing else to do. There's no purgatory. It says in uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, for by grace you've been saved through faith, not of yourself, lest any man So it's not anything. Somebody said religion is spelled D-O. I got to do something. I got to do something. And that's religion. Salvation is spelled D-O-N-E. Done. It's done. Jesus finished the work, and I'm so grateful for that. Those of you that are listening to this message right now, if you're a follower of Jesus, I want you to just give a big shout right now that the work that has been completed for you, Jesus said it's finished, and you don't have to do anything after you're dying. You don't have to be in some torture chamber for 2,000 years waiting to get to heaven. That is not a biblical concept. And so the other thing that I think is important that we can look at is this other option here. That the option that I go for is that we're with Jesus and we're waiting for a new body. And I'm not quite sure how the new body thing works and the timing and all that, but I believe that uh, Paul said in Philippians chapter 1, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And he said, I desire to depart and be with Christ which is better by far. And if he said, I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, I don't think he was saying, I can't wait to get in a grave and sleep for 2,000 years. I think he was saying, I know as soon as I draw my last breath, as soon as my spirit leaves my body, as soon as my spirit leaves my body, I'm going to be with Jesus. I'm going to be with Jesus. I love that. You know, another great argument that we're going to be with Jesus right after we die is in 1st Thessalonians chapter 4. It says when the Lord comes back He'll come back with a shout. The Lord himself will come back for us. By the way, God's not sending an angel for you. He's not sending Gabriel. He's not sending Michael. When it's time to come get you, he's coming for you himself. I preach many times in Texas down to uh, Tyler, Texas. My friend Sammy Fisher, who's my, one of my best friends, uh, when I fly into Dallas Airport with uh, my wife Karen, uh, we get to the baggage claim. We walk out of baggage claim, and there's Sammy there waiting for me to meet me personally because he loves me. And he's got his car all shined up. Usually he has a new one, by the way. Got his car all shined up, pops that, that uh, trunk and puts my, uh, our bags in there, and then we travel and hang out together. And when Jesus comes back, he's coming back for you. But listen, it says when he comes back, he'll bring with him those that have died in Christ. So if Jesus is bringing with him people that have died, evidently they've been with him and they're coming with him and their bodies that are in the grave are going to be, be raised from the dead, and they're going to be reunited with a glorified body, and they're coming with the Lord. So I believe that when, when I uh, leave this world and I draw my last breath, then I'm going to be with the Lord. There's a great passage. One more passage I'll read for you is in uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 has this really cool verse, and it talks about uh, it, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. It says, He who died for us, Speaking of Jesus, and if you're glad Jesus died for you, would you say a big amen right now? He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Now the word awake means we're living, we're not dead. Whether we awake or asleep, that's the euphemism for death, we may live together with him. So if we're asleep, that's the euphemism for death, we may live together with him. So I believe that uh, we're going to be with the Lord as soon as we leave this planet. Jesus on the cross with the uh, thief. One thief cursed Jesus. The other thief said, you know, he saw who Jesus was. He had discernment. He could see that Jesus was a righteous man. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to me, uh, this day you will be with me in paradise. Today you will be with me in paradise. And interesting teaching about where paradise is, and I can do that at some other point, but I'm so grateful that uh, when we think about death, death for the Christian uh, is, is not, a, it's not a bad thing. It's a wonderful thing, uh, and, and, the, and the idea that we're going to live forever is incredibly comforting. I recently was uh, called into a home, and there was a man that was facing death that had cancer, and um, I got to visit him a couple times and pray with him and talk with him, and he's wrestling, as we all wrestle with, this whole impending end of our life. And he was wrestling with that, and I just talked to him and read Scripture to him and prayed with him. And one day I was sharing with him you know, how when I was in junior high, uh, in Seaford. I went to Seaford uh, high, uh, high School, and, but when I was in the middle school, the middle school in Seaford is right on Stein Highway, and I was in that, uh, I was in middle school, and uh, that was seventh and eighth grade, and I was an eighth grader, and I was finishing eighth grade, and the next year I was going to go to another school, the big high school, and I was really apprehensive about going to that high school because it was much bigger, and I'd never been in that high school before, and that whole summer, that whole summer, I was worried, and I was filled with anxiety about that change, going to that new high school. But when I got to the new high school, I found out it was bigger, it was better, the teachers were better, and there were more girls. It was an amazing, amazing thing. I feared that because I didn't understand it, and I didn't know what it was about. We fear the unknown. And so when we think about leaving this body and going to be with the Lord, there's nothing to fear. There's nothing to fear. And the Lord is with you, and the Lord will comfort you. First Corinthians 15 says this, if Christ be raised from the dead, we too will be raised from the dead. And we have that incredible promise. So when you think about Processing life, going through life, dealing with life, dealing with the pressures of our age, dealing with all the stuff that you're dealing with. Remember, this world is not the whole story. This world is not the whole story. But we will be awakened for everlasting life to be with the Lord. And He's with us. And we've got to have that theology. We've got to have that understanding in order to be strong in our faith. Let's pray together right now. Those of you that are in your home, those of you at Fenwick Island, would you raise your hands right now? Those of you that are at the Millsburg campus, those of you that are online, just raise your hands if you're not driving a car, but just raise your hand and worship the Lord right now. Let's ask the Lord to help us. Lord, we want to thank you for taking care of us, not only in this life, but in the life to come. You're Lord, not only of this world, but the world of eternity. And so, Lord, as we walk through the uncertainty of life, we're grateful that you're our shepherd. And even though we pass through the valley of shadow of death, we will fear no evil, for you are with us. We thank you for your love and your mercy. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen and amen.